jump right into Romans. And so if you have your Bibles, why don't you guys meet me in Romans chapter 16. Uh, Romans chapter 16. If you don't have a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand and keep it raised high. Same people that collected your test are going to be able to give you out a Bible now. Um, we are going to finish Romans today. Um, so it's a really, really exciting day because we've gone through one of the more significant books uh, in the Bible, uh, and especially in the New Testament. And it's been a lot, a lot of fun. And so what I want to be able to do for us today is we're looking at Romans chapter 16, um, verses 17 to the very end. So that's verse 27. For the, sake, for the purpose of our time of teaching, we're going to primarily look at verses 17 through 20. Um, 21 all the way to 23, Paul begins to uh, say some thank yous from the people who are with him. Um, and then the doxology at the very end is something we'll do as a congregation during our benediction. And so why don't you guys listen to me as I read from Romans chapter 16, verses 17 through 20. Hear now the word of the Lord. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles, contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them, for such persons do not serve the Lord, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the past two years and looking at this letter. All that it's taught us, all and the many ways that it's shaped us, primarily through the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ, the power of your Holy Spirit, and the absolute supreme love of you as our Father. God, we thank you, Lord, as a church, that you are maturing us, that it's in your grace in which we stand, it's in your favor in which we walk, it's in your love, Lord, in which we love others. We praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Um, since this is our last week in Romans, and so those of you guys who have been traveling with us, what I've been doing for the past two years is saying, hey, uh, we're gonna, we've been in traveling through this series of Romans, and today we're going to continue. And this morning I get a chance to say, we've been going through the book of Romans, and today we're going to conclude this beautiful letter. Um, and so by way of doing that, I just want to give some perspective on how, not just how long, but what's happened in our culture um, as we've been going through Romans. And one of the things we talk about here a lot is how we apply God's word to our lives and the culture in which we live. And so here's some U.S. and world events that have happened um, since we started Romans, by the way. We started Romans February, or excuse me, April 7th, 2012. Um, and so that's been a lot of fun going through this. Um, and so the first thing is this, the Boston Marathon bombing. That has happened. Uh, the Supreme Court strikes down uh, DOMA. Um, and so uh, what we have there is 25 states have legalized same-sex marriages and since we started Romans. NSA leaks. George Zimmerman acquitted in the death of Trayvon Martin. Mohammed Morsi overthrown in Egypt. Chemical weapons in Syria. Government shutdown, healthcare.gov launches, <laughs> I'll let you guys laugh a little bit because the, the next one's sad, so prepare you. Nelson Mandela dies, the, the Seahawks win the Super Bowl, so evil triumphs. Sochi Olympics, 
uh, crisis in Ukraine, uh, Donald Sterling banned from the NBA. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Malaysian plane goes, goes missing. Hobby Lobby wins Supreme Court case. Um, until this happened, I never knew what Hobby Lobby was. <laughs> um, ISIS declares Islamic State um, in Iraq. War between Israel and Palestinians. Michael Brown shot in Ferguson. Robin Williams commits suicide. U.S. launches airstrikes on ISIS. And probably the most important, Taylor Swift launches 1989 album. <laughs> right? So, so, so what we have is a lot, right? <laughs> I had to put that one in there. Um, what we have is a lot of things that have happened through, through the book of Romans in the sense of our culture. Now, I, what I want to be able to do now is just kind of just in a sentence, go through everything that's happened here, and it should be on your screen here, what's happened during Romans for us. It's kind of a recap of the chapters. So chapter one, here's what we have. Chapter one, the gospel is the power of God and everyone needs it. That's what Paul starts off in saying. Everybody in the world needs it. Chapter two, he says, especially religious people. Because in chapter one, it's like, you know, there's people who don't know God. There's people who are living as if they don't know God. And the religious are saying, yeah, their activity, then their behavior, and the morality proves it. And then Paul looks at the religious and says, you know God, but you don't understand relationship. And you need the gospel as well. And then chapter three, he says, no, seriously, everyone needs salvation and Jesus came to give it. Chapter four, we moved along. Um, even Abraham was justified by faith alone. We talked about Father Abraham. One of the things we pointed out there is um, in Vacation Bible School, for those of you guys who grew up going to church, we sang the song Father Abraham, and we never know what that means. And what we talked about in that is how we are a part of Abraham's family is by faith. And so we are able to be a part of his sons and his daughters, ultimately as a man of faith, and we become people of faith. Number five, chapter five, we are born into Adam and we're born again into Jesus. So in Adam, there was sin and there was death. In Jesus, there was life. Chapter six, faith unites us to Jesus Christ and it frees us from sin. Chapter seven, using rules to change your life doesn't work. (laughs) But only the gospel brings about transformation. Chapter eight, my favorite chapter, is that the spirit brings freedom, adoption, and hope. That's that picture where the Spirit is crying out on our behalf, Abba, Father. This chapter 8 teaches us how the Spirit prays for us when we don't even know what to pray for. Uh, Chapter 8 even gives us this picture of creation longing and groaning for the Savior to come and to redeem all things, and there was this beautiful picture. Um, Then chapter 9 is that God's promises haven't failed. True Israel has been chosen by God. And then chapter 10, everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Chapter 11, God has a future plan to bring Jews to faith in Jesus. And then we got to the so what's in chapter 12. Worshiping God happens through selflessly loving people. 13, Christians who love submit to government and pursue holiness. 14, we don't agree on everything, but love trumps our preferences. And 15, the gospel of grace is not just for Jews, but for the whole world. And then lastly, chapter 16, the church is a beautiful display of unity and diversity. And that's what we'll pick up here. Um, four things that I looked over all my notes and everything. I've, I've forgotten more. I, I forgot that we taught some of the stuff that we taught on. Um, and four things for us. We had all of our pastors and preachers talk about how did, what did Romans do for you? And here's the first thing for me, first and foremost, 
is understanding the gospel from justification to glorification. So in a better way is, is going that the gospel is not just something we believe to become Christians. And I've always believed that, but going through the book of Romans as slow as we did was really helpful in saying it's from the womb to the tomb that God himself is carrying us by his saving grace, by his sovereign grace, not just to in, when we enter into God's kingdom, but is that same powerful gospel truth, his grace that's sustaining us. Amen. Um, and, and the kids get it, but you guys don't, right? And so number two was how to teach through hard texts. You know, we, we, we out, the, out the gate in chapter one and chapter two, we're talking about God's wrath, um, talking about God's judgment, um, talking about homosexuality and predestination, which homosexuality and predestination are usually sermons you don't teach on a Sunday. Um, and I think we'd spent like four weeks talking about them. I think we were equally as confused after we got done with them. Um, but a lot, a lot, a lot of fun. Um, chapter th- or the, number three was evangelism. I'm, I'm an evangelist at heart. I'd love to hear people know about Jesus. But when we got to Romans chapter 10 and we got to the verse, um, um, if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, that you will be saved. And many of us have heard that verse. Many of us have prayed that verse. And there was something that happened in that for me personally. Um, if you've ever, the way I think of it is you've ever gone to the dentist and you know how they, they put those, they, they, you know, they hurt you. And then... They see where your gums are sensitive. And there's always a part where it's really sensitive. And I mean, it goes straight to your eyes and the tears just water. It's just a sharp pain because of sensitivity. When we got to Romans chapter 10, when, we, when I read that verse and I studied that verse, I just, you know, every person that I've ever prayed the prayer with, my own life, it just, it just started hitting me. You know what? People need to hear this gospel. Especially if we're going to talk about wrath and judgment, and we believe in that, and we believe that God is a, a God who not only loves but brings wrath and judgment, and the only way to escape that is by receiving his love that he's freely given us in Christ Jesus. Dang it, we need to tell people about that. That's exceptionally good news. And if all they have to do, they don't have to be good, they don't have to vote the right way, they, don't have to, none of, they just have to receive the love that God has given them. That, that, was, that was huge for me, not just in my personal life, but also in the life of the church. What does it look like for us to proclaim the gospel? And number four, this just love. That doctrine is what we've gone through in a lot of Romans, but at the heart of it is God's love, how much he loves us, and primarily not just Jesus' love for us, that Jesus loves us, but we have a Father who loves us. We have a Father. I believe going into Romans, my, my function was that when, it, when I thought about the love of God, I, I usually thought about Jesus. And there's nothing wrong with that because the Bible teaches that. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. But the father is something I always felt like when you invited your friends over and you, you know how you would trick your parents, like you would invite your friends over while your parents were there. Hey, mom, do you, do you mind if he comes over tonight? And your parents are in that awkward position like, yeah, he can come over. <laughs> but when he leaves, we're going to have a conversation, right? I feel like the way that I, I, I functionally look at the gospel was that Jesus invited us to the family and the father was like, all right, well, I'll adopt him, right? And the more we looked at Romans, the more we looked at Romans 8, we realized, no, it was the father's plan from all along. The Father wanted us. He's the one saying, well, I'm welcoming you guys in Christ Jesus. And so just that love that we have from God and now that love that we have to the rest of the world. Those, those four things for me were exceptional. A ton of good things in Romans, but those things were exceptional. And so keeping to that, to that phrase of love, um, I believe we'll finish um, this morning. Um, three simple points that I believe Paul closes us with as we end this book. Um, the first point is um, we must protect this house. So that's, that's, um, that was Paul before it was Under Armour. Um, number, number two is we must be childlike and not childish. And we'll explain this. And then number three is that we must grow in grace. And so we must protect this house, talking about the church. We must be childlike and not childish. 
And then, and number three, we must grow in grace. And so read with me in verse, verse 17. First point, we must protect this house. <laughs> I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles, contrary to doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them, for such persons do not serve the Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the, naive, of, of the naive. Now, here's what Paul is talking about here. Um, through this section, what Paul does in closing is not the way that you would think he would close. You would think Paul would close out this letter and go, it's been good, it's been a long run, a lot of things have happened, Taylor Swift's album came out, but a lot of things have happened here, right? Let me close by saying goodbye. No, no, no. He starts off with a warning, and then in the next section he goes to uh, an exhortation, and then he wraps up uh, with encouragement. But the first is the warning and saying, you gotta protect this house. Meaning, there's something about the church that we have to protect. And so let me step back for a second and understand, um, give you just a picture of why this is. Is that what you have is you have the kingdom of God. And that is the full reign of God and Christ's lordship over all creation. And what we have in Christ is that the kingdom has broken in in Christ Jesus. It's why he says, the time has been fulfilled. Repent and believe. Jesus says that. And so the kingdom is leaking in. It's not all the way here yet. There's still sin, there's still evil, there's still death, there's still ugliness, there's still injustice, but there's a part of the kingdom that has come through the preaching of the gospel. The Spirit of God is at work in our life, that that he's taking us from death to life, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of life, from eternal death to eternal life, that there's the, the Spirit of God that is at work. Now, as God is displaying his kingdom, the primary purpose or the primary people of which this is happening through is the local church and the church in general. And the church in itself it has unity, but the unity that the church has is a unity that is surrounded ultimately within the truth. And so when Paul ends this letter, he gives this warning here of saying, watch out for people who come to bring division. I mean, people will come into churches to rip churches apart. And what he says is, he's not talking about preferences. He's not saying, watch out for the people who are not like you, who vote different than you. We, we spent week and week and week after that. That's not what he's saying. He's saying for the people who come in, who proclaim to know Jesus, and yet do not teach the essential truths of the Bible. And not just don't teach them, but teach things that are contrary, or, or the antithesis of gospel. And the way Paul says this here is he says, they create obstacles contrary to doctrine. Doctrine just means healthy teaching. In fact, what Paul is communicating here is doctrine actually unites, though what's popular in in church circles sometimes is doctrine divides. But if you don't have an understanding of doctrine, you don't understand where you're going. Here's what what doctrine is like. Doctrine is like a map that, that gets you to go somewhere. And all of us have had that experience with our own phones where we punch an address, a destination where we've wanted to go. And because we didn't upgrade it, all of a sudden, we're at the wrong place. And we're supposed to be somewhere else, but this particular app hosed you, right? Maybe you've had that experience, maybe you haven't. When you don't have the right doctrine, you may, you may in your heart say, I want to know God. I want to follow Jesus. But if someone is coming in and ultimately having the wrong destination, they have the wrong means, uh, this false teaching, it will lead God's people away. Okay, so, so hear me saying this. This is important. Um, this is important. So when I say protect the house, that's kind of a lame way to basically say we have to be the church and guard truth. Guard the truth of Jesus. Now the question from that is going, okay, well, what type of doctrines are you talking about? Um, a few years ago when I was an intern, so maybe eight years ago when I was an intern um, in a ministry of 20-somethings, Tyler Johnson, who you guys know, the lead pastor of all redemption, nicest guy in the world. This was the 
this was the most intense I'd ever seen Tyler get. We had these two guys that were coming to our, our church, and they were, they were um, members of the LDS community, and they were teaching and proselytizing within the service. And not only that, which was weird because this is even against their faith, they're, they're, they were sleeping with women in our congregation. And so we caught word of this, and we said, we're going to confront these guys and go, hey, either you're going to long to belong, um, or you got to go. Right? You, can't, you can't come here teaching these things and then doing these things within our service. And I'm telling you, as nice of a guy as Tyler's, he goes, hey, we're going to have a conversation with them. We walked up to these guys. We asked them, hey, are you guys teaching these things? They said, yes. Are you also doing this with the women? We, they said, yes. We don't see anything wrong with it. Tyler looked them dead in their face and said, listen, you look me in my eyes right now. And I was like, oh, Tyler. Right? Because I thought I was going to do it because I carry. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so they're, 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 Tyler's sitting there and he says, if you come back here again with those intentions, we will have problems. Are you serious? The guy goes, Tyler goes, I am dead serious. I was like, wow. And that was good for me as an intern. They go, wow, because this is the most welcoming person I know. And he goes, you welcome everybody. But when someone starts to come into your own home and starts to disrupt what God is doing, that's a problem. That's a problem. But so the sole question from that is, like, what doctrine are we talking about here? We're, we're not talking about denominations, how there's different denominations. We're not talking about what we call open hand and closed hand issues. We're talking about the open hand issues are not things that we're going we're gonna to ultimately say, that's what Paul's talking about. No, closed hand teaching. Let me explain with that because that language might be new to you guys. Oftentimes we use open hand, closed hand. So open hand issues are the issues that Christians will uh, dispute over. They will, they will um, have discussions over. They'll debate over. They'll even argue over, but they're not issues that they're going to divide over. Um, these are things like, how old is the earth? Is it an old earth? Is it a young earth? As opposed to, did God create this world? Um, these are issues like eschatology, which is the study of end times. Um, it's, it's, is he coming back like this? Is he coming back like that? What's, what, what's your view on eschatology? As opposed to close hand being, he's coming back. And so those open hand issues are not what Paul's talking about. We should never divide over those things. You may have different local churches that that meet over certain truths, which are totally fine. But when it comes to the church, who God is governing over, those are not things you divide over. Close hand issues are things like the person and work of Jesus. His death, his life, his ministry, his miracles, his resurrection. Um, The Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in one. Those are closed-hand issues saying everyone who's a Christian believes in these things, trusts in these things, the authority of Scripture. What did God say? Those are closed-hand issues. All of a sudden, if someone's coming in the church and saying, Jesus is not the Son of God, right? That's a problem. If someone comes to the church and says the way to salvation is Jesus Christ plus anything else, that's a problem. In fact, Romans doesn't even let us know what type of arguments Paul's getting here, but when you read through the rest of Paul's letters, you know what some of the things were. One of the biggest things in the divisions in the church was what was called Judaizers. And we walked through that when we went through the book of Galatians. And Judaizers were these people who came into the church and said, in order for you, meaning the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, in order for them to become Christians, they need to believe upon Jesus— and they needed to do other things. And both of those things needed, uh, merited salvation. So believing in Jesus as well as the ceremonial uh, laws that Moses had given them. Well, Paul had some harsh language against that. In fact, in Galatians 1.8, he says, anyone who's teaching you these, these, these different doctrines, he says, may they be an anathema, which literally means may they be damned. Like he, he cares about it. And so here he's saying if there's any false teaching— if there's anything that's against the teaching of scriptures about the gospel of Jesus Christ, not open-hand issues, 
We have people in this, in this room have different views on creation, different views on eschatology, different views on men and women's roles. We're talking, what is the nature of the gospel? And Paul says, when that happens, he says, you got to get them out. And I'm telling you, primarily, that, that, that's on your elders. That's on your elders because it's a protection of the sheep. That is exactly what God's called us to do. And it says what it is is by flattery, they're persuasive. These men and women come in and they lead people away. And so finally in that, you go, okay, what are those doctrines do you think, right, are, are, are probably happening right now in the church as a whole? Um, I can only speak for our context and the conversations that I have and people I talk with. I do believe that there is um, the reality of God's wrath and his judgment and hell are things that I feel like evangelicals, many Christians, are going, we're not really sure anymore. And that's a problem because that's exactly what God teaches and that's what he's saving us from. Um, the, other, the other thing on that, um, another one I would say, is the issue surrounding homosexuality. I do believe that in our day, in our time, this is something in the evangelical Orthodox Church where you have people who believe in the word of God who are saying, for centuries we've misinterpreted this text, therefore same-sex not attraction, but same-sex uh, relationships, continuing um, monogamous ways are not sin, which is the opposite of what we taught through when we went through Romans 1. Um, and I'm not saying we shouldn't have a dialogue and a process of what the Bible says, but I'm saying we, we do have a, a view on it. I do believe that that's one where when that enters in the church and saying, that's a division, because now one is saying what the Bible is saying is sin, and the other person is saying, no, the Bible said there's permission there, which are two different things. And I say that because that's the reality, um, that, that are really, really reality. Um, those two things I would say currently right now, hell and the position of homosexuality, I would say are things in which people are bringing in the church and going, hey, let's talk about this. A discussion about anything is great and healthy. Uh, a position to persuade people, to lead people away, that's a, that's a problem. Um, one more I would add to that is, is signs and wonders. That's always been there. That the view that you have to practice certain signs and wonders, whether it's speaking tongues or a prophecy, and if you don't, then that is not evidence. You're not sure if you're a Christian. I think it's a problem because I do believe Paul talks about signs and wonders and I do believe it's healthy. I do believe spiritual gifts are given to the church. Not everybody in the church has all those gifts and that's not evidence that you're not a Christian if you don't speak in tongues. Um, it's, it's just evidence that the Spirit didn't give you the gift of tongues. Um, so that's, that's, that's the way we take that. So first point, and Paul says is, as we close, center around love. Make that the main thing. And anybody else that's not about the love of the gospel, that's calling themselves Christians and teaching something else, you got to get them out. You got to get them out. I mean, that doesn't mean you don't love them, but it's saying they cannot affect the house. Amen? It's not easy teaching. It's just teaching that we got to do. Well, then Paul, right now, gives you that warning, gives us that warning, and then he gives us this encouragement, which brings me to that second point. It's not just protect this house, but be childlike, but not childish. Here's what I mean by this. If you pick up here with me in verse 19, Paul says, for your obedience is known to all. So that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. Here's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, I want you to be childlike, but not childish. Jesus says it this way, be wise as serpents, but be harmless as doves. What Paul is saying is when we talk about childlike faith and when Jesus talks about childlike faith, it has everything to do with submission. Like a child would submit to their parents, that we submit to our father that we submit to the word of God. And he's saying, be childlike, believe in it, um, trust in it. He says, be wise in what is good, know what is good. But he says, listen, don't be, be innocent in what is evil. I mean, don't be childish. Childish is when you continue to grow up and you're supposed to be mature, but you're doing childlike things, right? 
Wait, you've seen that before where people literally have temper tantrums and they're 40 years old and you're going, gosh, that just doesn't look right, right? Um, Paul, Paul is saying that that's a problem. Childlike doesn't mean that you don't mature. Now hear me, I understand. We have a very, very young church. Very, very young church. It would be a problem if we're not maturing. Um, it would be a problem spiritually if we're not maturing. The joke around the guys is they think that I'm never going to age because um, the reality of it is I still look the same as I did when I was 16 as I do now when I'm 32. But I think because God didn't give me the spiritual gift or ability to grow facial hair, right? And so that's a problem. But if you don't age, that's pretty cool. But if you don't, if you don't mature spiritually, that's a problem, right? The writer of Hebrews, when he's talking to, to God's people, he says, you should be on meat now, but you're still on, on milk, right? If, if, if we saw a grown man walking here with a bottle, right, we'd go, something ain't right. <laughs> something ain't right, right? Does he have his teeth? What's going on? Like, what's happening, right? Get that man some meat. Take that bottle out of your mouth, right? That's a problem. Paul is saying, be childlike. Trust in what is good. Trust in the gospel. Believe in God. Trust that he's your father. Be wise in what is good. Be, be good in what God is saying to do, but be innocent. And what is evil? Innocent doesn't mean ignorant, right? Innocence means don't, don't, don't partake in it. I think a lot of us sometimes, we choose, we choose to be ignorant. And here's how we choose to be ignorant. Um, when you're ignorant about things, it's because you don't ask questions. You don't seek to learn things. You think about any topic that you've been a part of and that you go, man, I'm just, I'm just ignorant. Especially when God has given you everything you need to know. <laughs> The writer of Peter, Peter says, um, everything that pertains to godliness, he's given to us. And like even, even spiritual like things, right? The spiritual realities, the signs and wonders. I love what Peter says. Peter says this in his writings. He goes, you know, there was that day on the mountain when Jesus transfigured himself. It was basically like the greatest day of my spiritual experience. And he, and he talks about this, the Mount Transfiguration that we read about in the Gospels. And then right after that, he says, but we have something even more sure. Meaning, what could be more sure than walking with Jesus, seeing him, seeing him in his glorified state, um, just witnessing that, and he says, we have something more sure. And he says, that's the prophetic word of God. Meaning, everything that we need to know and how to live in this world is here. Childlike says, I believe in God, I believe in his word. Childish says, but I'm not going to read it, I'm not going to grow in it. Childlike says, I trust in it. And then being wise in what is good, and now I'm going to be innocent when it's evil, is I need to understand God's word. And so um, many of us, we, we have what I would call we're biblically illiterate. And not just us as a congregation, I think just Christians in general. That we don't take the time to read our word. Part of it is because we're experience-based culture, and most of the time when we read the Bible, it's not a whole lot of fun. We don't walk away going, whoa, did you see that? He came back from the dead. Right? Like we... <laughs> We, 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 don't, we, don't, we, don't, we don't have that experience, and so it just seems kind of monotonous, but it's so important to us. It's so important. So Paul is saying, not only protect this house, but be childlike and not childish, meaning grow in an understanding of who God is. The primary way that you grow in an understanding of who God is is by resting in his word. It's by letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly, admonishing in one another, teaching one another, and singing spiritual songs and hymns to one another by God's word. So wherever you are in God's word, and your time alone with God. Um, if you're reading a paragraph, go to two paragraphs. If you're reading a page, go to two pages. If you're not reading, take one of those Bibles off the shelf and keep it. And then start, just don't keep it. Start reading it. Um, and start somewhere and grow so we can understand as to who God has called us to be and the type of people he's called us to be. Because what Paul is saying here is he says, um, he sees your obedience. You're growing. He goes, I rejoice over you. But don't just remain ch like a child in the childish way, 
but grow up and mature as a church. Amen? And the last one is an encouragement. And the encouragement we have here is in verse 20. He says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. I love this. The way Paul, Paul says, listen, there's warning. There's going to be false teachers. Hey, you got to kind of grow up a little bit. You're, you're good. You're good. You're believing the gospel, but grow a little bit. And he goes, oh, yeah, and trust me, Satan's going to be crushed. And I love his play on words, too. He says the God of peace, because when we think peace, we think just kind of shy. I'm the peaceful guy. He goes, the God of peace is going to crush Satan's head. Um, this is the first time that Satan's mentioned throughout this whole, this whole letter. Um, and I think Paul here is talking about the only way that we're going to continue to grow as a body. The only way we're going to walk in the gospel, the only way we're going to continue to grow and mature is not by us saying we're going to get better at reading the Bible. We're going to get better at fighting our own sin. No, the only way that's going to happen is a realization that God himself triumphs over evil. The gospel in itself, God himself is more powerful than Satan. I grew up in a church that it was almost like Satan and, and God were, were like ASU and U of A, right? Like who's going to win, right? You never knew. And I still don't know. I'm kind of nervous. But so there's, there's, there's this with the ASU U of A thing. I know who's going to win with God. <laughs> Let's get that clear. <laughs> Let's get it. Sparky, Wilbur, not really sure. God, he triumphs. He triumphs. He triumphs. And what Paul is talking about here is, is understand that there's going to be a day that there will be no more evil. And so think about this. He, he, I believe that Paul is picking up to what he talked about in verse, in verse 17. And when he's talking about the people in 17 and 18 with flattery speech, the people who will try to deceive us, he's saying there's coming a day where God's going to end all of that. He's going to end all of it. And the reason why I believe there's a connection there is because you go, very, you go all the way back to what, what we're being tempted by. Our biggest temptations are not sexual sins. Our biggest temptation is not our pride. Our biggest temptation that usually flows into that is believing the question or listening to the question, did God really say fill in the blank? Because you go all the way back to the very beginning of human history. And when this whole thing began to spiral, it was Adam and Eve in the garden in the cool of the day, with their father, in relationship with God, and in relationship with one another, and great relationship with creation. It was the way it was supposed to be, shalom. But when the serpent came, and he began to tempt the woman, he didn't tempt the woman and say, hey, you could be beautiful. He, di- he didn't tempt the woman and man and say, hey, you know what? There's, there's more to life than, than, than just, you know, your bodies are basically an appetite, and that's why you have to follow your appetites, right? He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, you know what? You could have a lot of money, if you just worked and worked and worked, you know what, neglect your family, but have a lot of money. He didn't say that. He just said, did God really say? It was the first moment that we had doubt in believing in who God was. Did God really say? All of our sin, all of, all of the things in which we do is a lack of believing and trusting that God is good and he's actually for us and not against us. And what, what Paul is saying now is that same lie that same deception, that same deceiving that's in you, that's in me, and that's in this world, ultimately that was initiated by Satan, that Christ himself is going to crush his head and ultimately get rid of all evil for all eternity. And in the meantime, he says this, we must just go and grow in grace. He finishes this and he says this, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. That is a blessing of saying the way that you're going to get through this, the way that we're going to continue as a church, the way that we're going to love, the way that we're going to repent, the way we're going to evangelize, the way that we're going to welcome, the way that we're going to continue to pursue one another, the way that we're going to pour ourselves out to the least of these, everything that Paul has taught in this, in this book and in the whole Bible, he says, is by continuing in the grace of God, is that we stand in the, the unmerited favor of God, 
that we've been redeemed, that we've been rescued, and we will walk with the grace of God. Amen? I, I want to close Romans with one of my favorite, um, my favorite hymns here uh, by a lady by the name of uh, Fanny. Uh, can we put that, uh, that up here? And, and she, she, was blind, she was lived years ago, uh, became blind at the age of six because of malpractice of a doctor, and wrote, I think, like 2,000 hymns. I won't read all 2,000, um, but this is the one uh, that I believe is fitting for us to finish in Romans and according to God's grace, and it's called To God Be the Glory. She says, To God be the glory, great things he has done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son, who yielded his life and atonement for sin, and open the life gate that all may go in. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give him the glory, great things he has done. Our per- oh, perfect redemption, the purchase of blood to every believer, the promise of God. The vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. Great things he has taught us, great things he has done, and great our rejoicing through Jesus the Son. But purer and higher and greater will be our wonder and transport when Jesus we see. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all that you've taught us and all that you teach us and continue to teach. Lord, we've experienced through this book of Romans the reality and truth that the word of God is living and active that it is culturally relevant, it is accurate to our hearts, that it draws us from death into life in Christ. Lord, even as those of us who have trusted in you, Lord, it gives us an opportunity to repent and reflect and to walk in your love. You sustain us, you grow us, you love us, you keep us. To you be the glory and praise. God, we thank you for this church in which you have given us as your people, collecting in this city and ask that we would take the message of this book, the gospel of Jesus Christ, to our neighbors, our co-workers, those whom we go to school with, and those whom we love because you love them. And God, we conclude this letter with acknowledging we love you because you first loved us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.